Thank you, Heartline. That was great. Great worship leadership tonight. The sunlight as well. Good jobs with the solos tonight. Grace, good job. That was outstanding. It's good to hear Grace sing about grace. Amen? That's good. That's good. We can all sing about grace. May we never cease to be amazed by the goodness of God's grace in our lives. Well, I've been reading a controversial book that's out. Uh, in addition to the uh, tome that I'm reading on Bonhoeffer these days, I'm, I'm reading a book called Love Wins by Rob Bell. Maybe you've seen his little Numa clips. Uh, they are little interesting insights into Christianity. He's very creative. Um, on the back of the book, it says he will be a leading voice among evangelicals in the next 20 years. And I've always uh, thought a great deal of Rob. Um, And then I started hearing rumblings about this book coming up. And no less than John Piper said, farewell, Rob Bell. Um, He was unhappy with uh, Rob Bell's conclusions. And since our Bible study on Thursday, I've had a little bit more time to read. I'm not finished with the book yet, but again, I've read enough. And on the back of the book, he asked this provocative question that says this, very simply, God loves me. God offers us everlasting life by grace, freely, through no merit on our part, unless you do not respond in the right way. Then God will torture you forever in hell. And then he asks this question, huh? The way he writes it sounds like he is compassionate. Love wins in the end. Just a summary of one of the chapters. God gets what he wants. God wants everybody to be saved. Therefore, everybody will be saved. Nobody will go to hell. It sounds compassionate. Love wins. You don't have to go to hell. Nobody's going to hell. My question, though, as we look at the book of Jonah together tonight is, is that really loving? I mean, why do we affirm there's such a thing as judgment? Are we just mean people? I mean, isn't isn't it unloving to talk about judgment and God judging sin? But I would argue, on the contrary, that it's very loving to talk about God's judgment. Let me think about it with you this way. If there is a hell, and I believe there is, and if there is a hell, and we tell people there is not a hell, like Rob Bell's book does, they lose eternity by not believing. But if we tell them God judges sin and there is a hell, and there's a chance to receive Christ and they repent, then they will live. So let me ask you, which is is more compassionate? As Matt Chandler might say, the problem with Rob Bell's premise is the whole Bible. In the book of the prophet Jonah, we see that God is offended by the sin of Nineveh. So he sends Jonah to preach to them and tell them that the city will be overthrown in 40 days. After a bit of an aquatic detour, finally Jonah complies and God forgives the people, but only after they repent We may ask the question tonight, what if they had not repented? And the answer, I think, is clear. They would have been destroyed. That's why it's so important for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because he is our only hope. He is the world's only hope. Let's open God's word tonight to the book of Jonah. I'm going to read just a few verses to you tonight. Just to sort of capture the spirit of the book, we could read the whole book. It's not that long of a book, but I don't think we need to read it all to get the meaning of it tonight. Let's stand together to hear the word of the Lord.
playing off his title, I've titled this message, How Love Wins in the End. Verse 1 of chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailing for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Uh, the rest of the story is uh, there. Um, God sends uh, a wind and a storm, and the sailors eventually, after much uh, coaxing on, on Jonah's part, throw him overboard. He wants to be thrown overboard. Then God provides, verse 17, a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, here's the part I want to read, chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry Ground. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. All of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Then just the Last few verses of chapter 4, starting with uh, verse 10. But the Lord said to Jonah, you've been concerned about this vine. Though you didn't tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight, died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city. Let's pray together. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What right did Jonah have to go to the city of Nineveh and tell them that in 40 days, their city was going to be overthrown. I mean, what, what would give anybody the audacity to go into a city and to tell the people there the way you are living your life is going to result in massive judgment that is going to destroy your city? What right did Jonah have to do that? He had the right to do that because God told him. God 
commanded him to do that. And what we learn about Jonah in this story is that he knows God better than we think he does. So, for instance, at the very beginning, when God says, you go to Nineveh and you preach, and he goes the other way, when God says, I want you to go, and Isaiah said, here am I, send me, it's like, it's like Jonah says, there I was, send somebody else. So he hightails it away from God. How exactly do you escape an omnipresent God who is everywhere? Well, it's not easy to do. In fact, it proves very difficult for Jonah And God finds Jonah in a ship on the way, actually headed the opposite direction. He is is headed to the west, um, and Nineveh would have been to his east. He's going the opposite direction of the way God wants him to go. But there God finds him in the ship. God sends a storm. The irony is the sailors on the boat who each have their own gods ultimately pray to Jonah's God when they cast the lot and find out that it's Jonah who's gotten them in trouble. Jonah is sleeping downstairs and they, and they are praying and hoping that somehow they'll survive this storm. And he, he convinces them to throw him overboard because he would rather die than go and preach to the Ninevites. And so they throw him overboard, but God is not finished God not only sent Jonah and sent a storm, but he sends a fish. And the fish swallows Jonah, and you know the rest of the story. Somewhere in the fish's belly, Jonah comes to himself. Like the prodigal son, he comes to realize the choices he have made have not only caused him great trouble, but have potentially jeopardized the spiritual souls of a great group of people in Nineveh. And he changes his mind, and he turns back to God. And we discover that what Rob Bell says is partially true. God is a God of second chances. He gives us a second chance when we have disobeyed him. So he gets a second chance. The word of the Lord comes to him a second time. And this time he obeys and he preaches exactly what God tells him to preach. And revival breaks out in Nineveh. This was not entirely unanticipated on Jonah's part. We will see that when the people repent, when the spiritual leader of the people and the people themselves follow suit and they fast and they pray and they put on sackcloth and ashes and they ask God to change his mind about destroying their city, God hears them. Jonah changes. They change. And God's plan to judge the city changes, and they are saved, and Jonah can't stand it. He goes outside the city, sits there on a hill, and waits for the fireworks, but the fireworks never come. He wanted to preach judgment and for the judgment to come, but then he gets honest with God and says, I knew you. I knew what you were like. I knew you loved people. I knew you were, you were willing to forgive people. I knew you were abounding in love and willing to forgive and great in compassion, and it really makes me mad, God, that you're not mad at those people anymore. And so, God, if you're not going to kill them, I would just ask you to do me one favor, kill me. Because if they're not going to die, I just want to die. But God decides to teach Jonah a lesson. And so there is a vine that grows up and gives him shade from the sun. And by the way, there is no sunburn like a head sunburn. Just take my word for it. Just take my word for it. Others could testify. And after, after he's under the shade of that vine and everything is going well, then God, God keeps the word in the King James Version, appointing. 
He, he appoints Jonah. He appoints a, a, he appoints a storm. He appoints a fish. He appoints a vine. He appoints a worm to kill the vine. And then Jonah gets sunburned. And Jonah, Jonah, the only thing hotter than Jonah's sunburn is his anger against God. And God asks him again, do you have a right to be angry? And Jonah says, I have a right to be angry unto death. King James Version, doest thou well to be angry? Yeah, I do well, he says. I have every right to be angry because I thought you were going to destroy these people and you haven't destroyed them. And God says, you're worried about a vine and about your little sunburn? Shouldn't I worry? Shouldn't I be concerned about 120,000 people? It's a great question. And the issue at hand for us, as we think about Rob Bell and his book and God and his book, the issue at hand is, is God really a loving God if he chooses to judge sin? And the answer is yes, God is loving. In fact, God is so loving that he sends Jonah in the first place. And, and Jonah resists God and he tries to flee from God, which is, by the way, always a bad plan because you cannot escape our God. He is inescapable. You, you, hear, it, uh, you hear it in Psalm 139 where it says, where can I go from your presence. How can I flee? If I go to the heights, you are there. If I go to the depths of the ocean, you are there. If I cross the sea and think, well, maybe God won't come across the water, you are there. Everywhere you go, God is always there. So there's no sense in trying to escape God. He is inescapable. Jonah is rather like that little boy who who was riding his bike around the block very fast. He was obviously very angry. And finally, a policeman, seeing him go around the block about the 11th time, said, what are you doing? He said, I'm running away from home. And the policeman said, really? How's that, how's that going for you? Um, you keep going around the block. He said, my mother told me I can't cross the street, so I'm just running away from home right here in a circle. Well, it really doesn't matter where you try to go to get away from God. You're not going to escape him. You will discover that he is there. It's Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my mind. And in the mist of tears, I hid from him. But the hound of heaven found me. John R.W. Stott, I think, one of the greatest Christians in the world today, says... I would like to tell you that the reason I'm a Christian is I just was such a good person that I found God. But the truth is, the hound of heaven pursued me until I surrendered to him. That's our story. And so Jonah tries to run away from God, and God sends the storm. And in the storm, the irony is these people are more willing... Jonah knows God, but he won't talk to God. But the men on the ship who are the sailors who are afraid for their lives, they're talking to God, and they're talking to God on behalf of Jonah and saying, don't judge us for this man's sin. And Jonah would rather die than obey God, and so they throw him overboard. But there, God finds him, and he is swallowed. And here's his great second chance. God gives him another chance to obey there in the belly of that fish, God deals with him and he begins to do business with God. And God says to him, uh, you want to mind your own business, but my business is your business and I care about people, so I want you to care about people. And Jonah, in the belly of that fish, repents of his sin and he prays, assuming God's intervention. He says in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, but God, you listen 
You listen and you lift me up. Isaac Besheva's singer wrote, whenever I'm in trouble, I pray. And since I'm always in trouble, I pray a lot. Even when you see me eat and drink while I do this, I pray. We talked about that this, this morning, praying without ceasing. Jonah repents and promises to fulfill his vows. I wonder what promises have you made to God? I have a friend who, when he was in Vietnam, said to God, if you bring me back safely to my family, I will be in church every Sunday morning. And through the years, he has not kept that promise. And it has become acidic. It has become corrosive to his own soul If you promise God something, you must fulfill that promise. That great missionary to India, William Carey, became deeply concerned about the attitude of his son, Felix. This young man, a professing Christian, had promised to become a missionary. But when he was appointed by the British government to be the ambassador to Burma, he broke his vow to become a missionary. And Carey requested prayer for him at the local church. Pray for Felix, he said. He has degenerated into an ambassador of the British government when he should be serving the king of kings. Anything you do that's different than what you promised God you would do is a dangerous place to be. The danger zone is being disobedient to God. Now that Jonah turns from this and his heart gets right and he comes around right, the whale is sick of him and spits him up. And so Jonah finds himself on the shore and this time he obeys and he preaches God's message And as he preaches, God begins to work a tremendous revival. So does love win, Rob Bell? Love does win. But how does it win? It's when the Ninevites turn. It's a miraculous story of revival because there is no revival without repentance. They believe God. They declare a fast. They humble themselves. And, and when they believe and they repent and they put on their sackcloth, led by their, their leader, the, the leader of the country, the king himself, takes off his royal robes and puts on sackcloth and ashes. And he declares that not only he will repent but also the people will repent. And also, he says, the animals will repent. I don't know how animals repent, but I notice sometimes when our dog tries to bite us, she feels bad about it afterwards. I don't know. Maybe it was like that. It seems like even the cows are wearing sackcloth in this story. And and he says... um, to his people, don't eat or drink and fast. And, and we may ask, well, isn't this kind of self-interested repentance? I, I read where George Buttrick said, well, the, the prodigal son wasn't really repentant because he knew if he went home, he'd get a meal. And so his repentance was self-interested, so it didn't count. I don't know about you, but almost all the repentance I ever remember in my own life had a bit of self-interest in it. Maybe we could call it self-preservation to come back to God. We're not really disinterested in our spirituality. We, 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 um, we are seeking God, and we know that God will change us if we ask Him for help. The repentance demonstrated they fasted and They just stop eating. I think that's serious when you stop eating in that way. Some fast in this season of year. I was wondering, what if we took this Good Friday until that Good Friday service, if we just took that day together as a congregation and fasted and sought the heart of God? Now, some of you physically, you're not allowed to do without food. I understand that. But I would just challenge you, if you can, to join me in that fast, just to seek the heart of God 
spiritual decisions are not made on the basis of logic alone. Sometimes it takes this kind of focus. Notice they cry out urgently to God in prayer and they're asking God. And it's not that their fasting and prayer obligates God. It's that, it's that God observes what they are doing. And, and it's really not God's will that any should perish. He doesn't want them to die. And so God forgives them and chooses not to destroy them. This is dynamic relationship with God. He really does love to forgive. But I would be remiss if I failed to ask tonight, what if they hadn't repented? What if they had thumbed their nose at Jonah and said, we don't care what you say. You're an Israelite. You're a foreigner. You people don't like us anyway. Why should we listen to you? Why should we care what your God thinks? Pharaoh, remember, hardened his heart against God and said, who is this God of Israel and why should I pay attention to him? But the king of Nineveh, the enemies of the Israelites, has a a very different approach to this. This is a real story, by the way. I don't believe it's a parable. You go to 2 Kings 14, 25, there was a prophet named Jonah who was the son of Amittai. This story is real. You say, but what about a fish swallowing somebody? I mean, do you, do you believe that, that, a, that a fish swallowed Jonah? Listen, I would believe it if it said that Jonah swallowed the big fish. I mean, it says it and I believe it. But what I see in this story is a picture of God's genuine compassion for people. God would rather die than live without you. That's why he sent his only son to die on the cross. That's why he gave up his life for us. And the rest of the story is the most intriguing part of all. And maybe it shows us a picture of who we are. Because I've noticed in the United States that we not only hate sin, but we sometimes hate sinners as well. And Jonah has a bad case of that. He's angry when God chooses to bring revival. Listen to what he says in chapter 4. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. He admits, that's why I ran away from you, God. Why? What is it about God that that so angers Jonah? Listen to this. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? It's as if Jonah is saying, if you're not going to kill them, then kill me. If you're going to kill Nineveh with your kindness, then do me the kindness of killing me. But God asked Jonah if he has a right to be angry. And I wonder if when we see the compassion of God, if we can recognize that it calls forth compassion in us. God cares about people. I love the old Point of Grace song. God loves people more than anything. More than anything, he wants them to know he'd rather die than let them go. God loves people more than anything. He didn't just send Jonah. He didn't just send a storm. He didn't just send a fish. He didn't just send a vine. He didn't just send a worm. God sent his only son into the world so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then listen to verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And the way we are saved is by simply receiving God's gift of grace. My friend Calvin Miller in his uh, classic book, The Singer, years ago, places in the mouth of a person who's speaking to God, God, how can you be a loving God and send me to hell? 
And God answers, I could never send you to hell. But if you choose to go there, I could never keep you out. Rob Bell is right about that. Hell is a choice of our own. But hell is more than just our choices here. The Bible has much to say about hell. We studied it in our study of heaven. It has much to say about the lake of fire. And it's true. It's true when, when the scriptures say, Matthew 25, verse 41, that, that hell was not created for people. It was created for the devil and his angels. But in the end of the book of Revelation, it is very clear that those people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will join Satan and the beast and the prophet's in a place called hell, a lake of fire that will be torment forever and ever and ever. And can I just say to you as a pastor, I'm not happy about that place. In fact, I don't want anybody to go to that place. But the fact that I don't like the place called hell does not take away the fact that it really exists. And we would not be loving to say to the world, nobody goes to hell finally. What if Jonah had gone to Nineveh and said, doesn't matter what you do, God will never judge you anyway. That would have been disastrous for them and for him. And the day you and I begin to move on our emotions instead of what the scriptures teach, we're in a very dangerous place. I don't know if it makes logical sense. I don't know about that, but I know this. God is so loving that he doesn't want anybody to perish. And that's why we proclaim the gospel. That's why you and I have to tell our friends and our family and our neighbors and this city and this country and the whole world that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation because those who believe in him really will be saved and those who don't really will be lost for an eternity whether or not Rob Bell thinks so. The truth is that God loves the world and he sent his son to die for us. And you and I, when God says, should I not be concerned? The rest of the question is, shouldn't we be concerned about a world that is lost and dying? And what will we do this week? So Consider yourself commissioned everywhere you go this week. I read Cookie Backy's story about riding in the back of a taxi cab, she and her husband with a, a Nigerian driver in the front who they began to ask him his story because they cared about people. God says, shouldn't I be concerned about 120,000 people? And we live in a world of billions of people. Shouldn't we care? God cares about every one of them. The backies began to talk with their cab driver from Nigeria. He said, well, things have changed for me. I had to take a different job. And because of that, two of my three children can no longer go to school. And she said, how much does it cost for your children to go to school? He said, 800 Nair. Uh, she said, how much is that in American money? Well, about $10, he said. She opened her wallet, pulled out $20 and said, put both of your kids back in school. Here's my card. The next time tuition is due, just send me a letter and I'll send tuition. Do you think that when she started to tell him after that about the love of Jesus Christ that she had a hearing? The good news is when you and I show the love of Christ to people, we'll have a chance this week. Maybe when we least expect it. God set appointments for you this week. Don't miss them. And our appointments are not just about uh, talking about the weather or about the basketball tournament. Listen, our appointments are about the eternal destiny of people. And I'm glad Jonah kept his appointment. 
I'm glad my mother kept her appointment on the third floor of that apartment in Schrolbach, West Germany, when I sat down on the stool while she was washing dishes and said, in effect, what the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to become a Christian? And she told me the good news. And I knelt down and prayed and received Christ as my Savior. And I want to invite you to do the same thing tonight because tonight may be the night when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about membership in a church. I'm not, I'm not talking about a, a denomination. I'm talking about receiving God's gift of grace. Listen, Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And you and I can receive that gift tonight. But if we refuse to receive the love of God, then we are rejecting his eternal plan for our lives. And we place ourselves in eternal peril. Do not reject him Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray tonight that you would draw people to salvation, Lord. Every person who doesn't know you as personal Savior, Lord, let tonight be the night that they say yes to you. Let tonight be the night that they choose to receive you as Savior and Lord and find eternal life. And Lord, I pray that you would commission us this week. You've given us the great commission to go into all the world. And the whole world has come to Houston. And Lord, this week, we will encounter the world. Lord, help us not to go to them without the good news. I pray, Lord, that when we see them, we would be willing to share the truth of your amazing love for us, that you're so willing for us to have eternal life, that you are willing to die on a cross. God, help us to share that message. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I...